Second uh, Peter chapter two. When I was uh, told a few weeks ago that I was preaching, uh, the hardest part for me is always picking a passage. And uh, with uh, the ministries of the summer and with teen camp, I was like, I need to do this early. So the one night I went to bed, I uh, put my headphones in and I started just listening to several books of the Bible. And uh, there was a passage that, that I listened to that was like, ooh, that passage is really good. I was like, what is it? Um, that one I w- would be interested in preaching. Um, now, all the scripture is, is good and profitable, don't get me wrong. But this one uh, really got me um, thinking and was really challenging. And so I was like, I want to I see it. Uh, I want to look at it. And so I looked on my phone, saw it was Second Peter chapter 1. And so I was like, oh, I'll write that one down. I'll come back and look at it. So I came back, looked at it a few times, and decided this passage was a passage that I wanted to preach. Um, and so I was like, yes, I have my passage picked. Uh, so we go through teen camp and all last week, uh, or two weeks ago. Last week I was like, all right, I'm right into sermon prepping, need to put this all together. I've uh, been reading through it, been thinking about it, uh, but now we need to, to put it all down on paper. And uh, I came in this week and I decided, you know what, I should really check. This sounds really familiar, and I don't know if it's just because I went over it a bunch of times. And so I was like, I need to check to make sure I didn't preach this before. And sure enough, I preached this a year and a half ago, the exact passage I wanted to preach tonight. Um, And so if you notice, we are doing part two, uh, is because part one was a year and a half ago. So if you want to listen to it, I believe it's in April of last year in a morning service, you can uh, go ahead and look it up on our YouTube and you can listen to it. So then I was stuck with the idea of what do I do next? Uh, And so I continued reading through the passages. I wanted to do uh, chapter 1, verse 3, down through verse 15. Uh, Great passage. We're going to read through it tonight, but a great passage. Uh, Very challenging, practical. And uh, and so I was like, well, let's keep on reading. And so I kept on reading. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do the next passage, uh, next section, and we'll we'll go with that. Um, And as I was reading through it, I was reading more through the rest of the, the book, and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to do the entire book. So tonight we're going to do Second uh, Peter chapter 1, 2, and 3 as we do the entire book. Um, and then Friday I went ahead and transferred the slides over and I looked at the order of service and all. And I realized Pastor Fox this morning was talking about the Word of God, which is exactly my focus of what I wanted to do tonight. Um, and so uh, just the way that God orchestrated it all together, um, I'm really excited. But uh, that being said, I only have a little bit of time um, to do a whole, whole book. And so we're going to fly through this. It's going to be a little bit different. Um, one of the things I'd like to do is I want to read through the entire book. Uh, so it should take about 10 minutes, which means the rest is going to be more bullet point and let you guys study it some later. Uh, but let's go ahead and read through Second uh, Peter, and we'll do the, the entire book here. So if you want to join al- along with me in Second Peter, I'm reading from the ESV uh, just for the sake of my reading. Uh, but Second Peter chapter 1 says, Simeon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires." 
For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For it is your practice, or for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intended always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. That's the passage that I preached last time. Um, a very practical challenge. Uh, if you're following along in your, in your notes at all, the outline, I'll give you some as we go through and we'll finish up the rest later. Uh, but here we see the greeting so far in verse 1 and 2. But then he calls us to live out our faith. And so he reminds us of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, and he calls us to live that out. And not only that, but when he leaves, he wants us to continue to be able to live it out. That was part one. You can go back and listen to it. But picking up in verse 16 now, he goes on and says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we, know, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. This is talking about uh, their experience on the mount uh, with the transformation of Jesus Christ into his glory. For we were with him on the holy mount, verse 19, and we have something more sure, a prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also, are, are also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, you will secretly, or who will secretly bring in the destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them bringing up uh, upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will become blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation for long ag- from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. 
If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented or tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. Bold and willfully they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters um, of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for, those, uh, for their wrongdoings. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accused children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain for wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For they or for, for them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to the wallow in the mire. Chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continue, continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God. And by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water, had the flood, and perished. And by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now existed are stored up for fire, 
being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord, or that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in, lo- live in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening and coming, coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be, digi- be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the arrogant and the unstable, or sorry, the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction. And they are, they do the other, as they do the other scriptures. For therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's open in a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your word, the power of it as we heard this morning. And as we look at, at the, this letter of Second Peter, and we are challenged and reminded of your grace of your willingness that no one should perish, but that we should have forgiveness. That there is going to be judgment, that there is going to be false teachers, but we have something that we can stand on. And so I thank you for your word, and as we open it, as we look at it, as we study it tonight, I pray that you'd help it to challenge our hearts, help us to be clear and true with it. And I pray that throughout this week, we would have an ever-growing and burning desire to be in your word and to be living your word. And so we thank you for it, and I pray that you give us wisdom as we look at it tonight. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. In Second Peter, Peter wants us to be reminded of the fact that we need to be living out our faith. We need to be living out our faith. And he does this in multiple ways throughout the book. And that's really why this is a part two, because part one was just a few verses that dealt with what the entire book is going to deal with. But I want to go ahead and give you the outline of the book and let you see this as we go through. And so in chapter 1, we have the greeting first of all, and then verse 3 through 15, Peter is going to call us uh, to live out one's faith. So he's going to give a call to live out one's faith. Then he goes on and he gives a defense for the apostles' message. 
If you caught it there at the end, he, he explains how he presented uh, the truth of, of the glory of God and the coming of the Lord with them. Uh, he told them that he was eyewitnesses, and he defends the, the message that the apostles were given. So whether this was something that was happening in the church that false teachers were already coming in and accusing Peter and the other apostles of just making up their story or just uh, giving their own ideas about it, Peter is going to stand up and say, no, we were eyewitnesses of this. And so he defends the apostles' message. In chapter 2, he then changes his focus a little bit, and he warns about the false teachers. And so he has that lengthy section on there about the false teachers. He references their message. He references their lifestyle. And eventually, he references their eventual destruction. Then he moves on in chapter 3, and he reminds us that God will address and set all things right. He talks about the day of the Lord. And he talks through that, that wonderful passage that, that God's patience towards us isn't based on him being um, soft on sin or him not dealing with the unrighteousness that is happening or the social injustices that are happening. But his willingness to wait is really a sign of his grace to allow us an opportunity to repent, to not have to experience the judgment that he's going to bring. But he reminds us that, we, that God will address and set all things right. He references the judgment. He references there the forgiveness that he offers in verse, or, or verse 9 of chapter 3. And then he also references the future restoration, what we're looking forward to. And this isn't the day of the Lord as far as the coming of Jesus Christ in the rapture. This is the future second coming of Jesus Christ, where he's going to restore um, not only uh, society but creation. And so there's going to be the, the destruction of the world through fire. And then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, which is going to enjoy the righteousness of God. And so he gives us a reminder that this is going to happen in the, in the, in the, in the future. And then he gives us the closing of chapter 3 in verse 14 through 18. He gives us a closing, some final words. But if you caught it again, he stresses that with all of this knowledge that he just talked about, what are we to do? He again calls us to live out one's faith. And so when we look at 2 Peter, Peter's goal of writing is that we live out our faith. Everything he talks about is wrapped around this idea that we don't just know about God. We don't just um, claim to be Christian and live our own way. We don't just get wrapped up with what society and culture is doing, but instead, all of that should drive us to live out our faith in Jesus Christ. Of what we truly are, as we talked about in part one a year and a half ago. Okay, we are a new creature in Christ. Okay, we have been adopted as God's children, and therefore we are to live a different life. And so he continually reminds us that we need to be doing this. And for many of us, this is not anything new. As Peter himself says, you already know this, and I'm reminding you of it. Why? Because sometimes the basic things are what we forget the most. 
that it's easy to stop thinking through. We might go through the motions. We might practice the basics, but we're not actually thinking through them. I know in construction growing up, uh, you, you learn a lot of the basics, how to read a tape measure, how to mark things correctly. Uh, you're laying out a wall and you're putting the studs in. You have to offset them all so that all of your boards end at eight foot on the center of a stud, not on the edge of a stud. And eventually, when you start doing it over and over and over again, you stop thinking about it and it's just natural. Hey, there's a few of you in the room that when you, as soon as I said it, you knew exactly where I was going and you knew everything you needed to think through as far as how you lay out a wall. But I remember when, when I uh, was coming out of high school and I joined a construction company, uh, how many people in that construction company had no clue how to lay out a wall? And so they would ask me to do it because I didn't have to think through it all. And if they did help me, I had to explain, no, you can't do this in this wall because you're, you're having a half inch come in on this side and so you need to shift everything a half inch so your board ends at the right spot. And they look at me just like half of you are like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> okay, why? Because unless you're doing it, unless you know the basics of it, it makes no sense. But once you have mastered the basics, basics of it, you start practicing it without actually thinking about the basics anymore. How many times in our Christian life do we practice living out our life and we forget to think through the fact that Christ has saved us and he has made us a new creature? That what we're going to celebrate tonight, Christ's death on the cross, that that wasn't just to get us out of hell, but that has created, or created us and, and uh, given us a new identity in Christ when we accepted Christ as our Savior. That we're no longer a child of godlessness and of darkness, but we are a child of light. And so Peter understands we need to stop sometimes and think about the basics. And so he wants us to live out our faith. But he's going to give us some oppositions that we're going to have to face while we're living out our faith. And so what are the oppositions that we face in our daily living out of our faith in Christ? The first is false teaching. He addresses it in chapter 2. He understands that this is something that is going to happen. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. Pastor series uh, in Sunday school in Revelation, we see that things are going to get worse and worse. And people are going to get caught up on false teaching. And so we see it all around us. Uh, it's easy with social media. It's easy with um, different platforms that you can get such quick access to, to different people um, in their teaching. It's easy to get caught up with false teachers who sound really, really, really smart. And they sound really enticing and they're fun to listen to. But the next thing you know, you realize, wait, that, that doesn't line up with Scripture. Okay, there's going to be false teachers that we have to look at. He describes their lifestyle, that their lifestyle is one that normally revolves around sexuality, sensuality, and greed and money. They want the popularity, they want the money, and they want to live for their own desires and pleasures. And Paul's, or Peter's going to warn us, that is an ungodly lifestyle. This isn't a positive um, analogy. He goes ahead and explains it, but then he goes ahead and steps right into going from what 
uh, these false teachers live their life like, and he reminds us of others who used to live that way. Okay, we have the angels uh, that were given uh, that had fallen. Uh, We have Noah and the flood, and we have Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we are given the outcome of these false teachers, and it's going to be their destruction. It may not be today, but their destruction is going to happen, just like God has already proven in the past of how he deals with sin. The flood, the people, they did everything that was right in their own eyes. And God looks and says, it's wickedness, it's evil. The only righteous person I can find is Noah. And he rescues Noah even in the midst of that ungodly culture. And in the midst of probably the worst culture in history, let me point out and remind you that there is a righteous individual that's living in it. It's easy to get caught up in our society and our culture and we look around and say things are terrible. And we forget that God still calls us. And as he already said at the beginning of chapter 1, verse uh, um, verse 2, I think. Nope, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And he's called us to that. Peter is not putting the false teachers in society up there to discourage us as much as to remind us that we need to be vigilant in living out our faith, in practicing the basics, in going back to God's Word. And so their destruction is going to come. He also talks that the outcome is that they ultimately are enslaved. They preach freedom. And how many times do we see that in our society today? We accept anyone. We accept no matter what lifestyle you have, no matter how you act, no matter how you talk. And in love, do we want to show Christ's love to everyone? Yes. And yet we're to be a holy people. We are to be different than the world. These teachers, they were preaching that there was freedom in their message, but ultimately Peter points to the truth that they were enslaved. Greed, sexuality had become their God. Popularity had become their God. And ultimately that enslaved them and there was no true freedom. Where does true freedom come from? It comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul talks about that. He goes on and he says, uh, and he shows that Uh, that these false teachers are going to be there. And I, I stop and I think and say, okay, if false teachers are going to be there and we are called to live out a, our life and to stand as a righteous individual, then how do we identify false teaching? And so it reminded me of, of what the Secret Service does. They find counterfeit dollars. And I wanted, and I've heard illustrations and I've heard stories and I was like, you know what, I just want to look this all up for myself. And so I just typed in, Googled, how do you find, you know, how does the, the Secret Service find counterfeit dollars? Um, I even watched a YouTube video about someone who was in the Secret Service that did this. And one of the statements he made was they became experts in genuine currency. Why? How did they figure out how to identify counterfeit dollars? They studied the true ones. 
They studied the genuine ones. There's a whole sheet. I have it saved on my computer right now. It's like three pages long of all the things you can look through in a genuine dollar bill. And they're not giving all of it, but they're giving some of it. Why? Because if you, count, if you study so much and you know exactly what is supposed to be the genuine dollar bill, you are going to notice anything that is a counterfeit. The same is true in our spiritual walk. If we study what it is to be a genuine Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what God in His Word has told us, and if we study the Bible so much that we understand it, then when false teaching comes, it, we're automatically going to be able to say, no, that doesn't line up with Scripture. Why? Because we know what the genuine truth is in Scripture, because we've studied it. We need to be studying God's Word. And so he deals with false teaching. The second one uh, that we have as far as opposition that we're going to face is rampant ungodliness. He talks about the evil he talks about the fact that they blatantly show their evilness, that they don't have any shame. Culture and society isn't looking down at them at this point. They're embracing them. And so society in this, as, Paul, or as Peter describes it, it, is a wicked and evil society. And yet, Peter says, we need to live out our faith in true holiness and righteousness. We need to be having the qualities that he gives in verse 4, 5, 6. We need to be living them out. So we're going to have rampant ungodliness around us. And that rampant ungodliness is going to influence and it is going to stumble others. It's interesting to me what, Paul, or what Peter doesn't focus on. He doesn't focus on the hypocrisy of others. He doesn't focus on society getting worse and worse and worse. He brings up the question of, of questioning God's goodness and justice by saying the, the scoffers are going to come and they're going to scoff. Where's, where's God? He prophesied that this judgment was going to come. He's, he stated this truth, but we don't see it. He deals with that saying that's really just a showing of God's grace to us, waiting for us to respond to him, giving us the opportunity to. He doesn't look and get caught up with the rampant access to false teaching that was there. Sometimes it's so easy to focus on the negative and get caught up with the negative that we forget that Peter still tells us we are to live a righteous and holy life. That we, in the midst of false teaching, in the midst of society that is uh, promoting ungodliness, we are to be righteous and holy. We're supposed to live out our faith. He doesn't get caught up with that, but instead he gives us three things that we can focus on that will help us to live out our faith. The first is really found throughout, but in that first section that I preached on last year, we need to know Jesus Christ. In both the opening and the closing, chapter 1, verse 16 through 19, chapter 3, verses 18, he keeps on reminding us of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, verse 18, as he ends the book, he says this. He says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter understands that this may be the last time that he gives a, 
any type of advice to the church. And he ends his advice with this. Grow in your understanding of Jesus Christ. Grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That is how we combat false teaching. That is how we combat an unrighteous world. That is how we can live out our faith. In our evangelism, our evangelism needs to be focused on the truth. I was uh, drawn to this passage probably because of that. In chapter 1, Peter right away says, we didn't come up with all of these clever myths and and ways of being able to, to give you the story of Jesus Christ. But instead, we gave you the truth because we were there. We saw it. We just told you about Jesus. Sometimes we get so caught up in, in how we can share the gospel with people, how we can make it exciting that we forget that this is the person of Jesus Christ that changes hearts and lives. It is through the work of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross that changes human lives. And so we need to have a clear, uh, a clear and true teaching from Scripture. That is what we should focus on. That's what Pastor preached on last week. Making sure that our message, the first message given to the church by Peter, what did he focus on? He focused on the person of Jesus Christ and the truth about him. We need to do the same thing. Secondly, we need to remember how it ends. Chapter 3 is all about looking to the future the destruction that is going to come, but also a place where righteousness now reigns. And so we need to have hope in the future. And he reminds us of Paul um, that preaches on this also. But thirdly, and the one that I want to challenge you to really think about this week, we need to meditate on the Word of God. Every time that we deal with any of these, getting to know Jesus Christ, remembering um, and, and thinking about what the future is going to be like, That's all found in studying the Word of God. And so we need to be meditating on the Word of God. Our foundation needs to be on God's Word. We need to be individuals that can be experts on the genuine gospel, that are experts on the genuine teachings of Scripture, on what Jesus Christ really was and how He acted and what He offers to us. Then we can live out our faith. He says that there's a reliability in the Word of God because of the eyewitnesses, the clear truth that is presented. We saw that this morning with Pastor Fox's message on, on the Word of God. Go back and listen to it if you weren't here. Okay, Helpful, just going back to the basics of why can we trust the Word of God? What does the Bible say about itself? Okay, And so he says in there that no prophecy of Scripture was given by a human, its own human interpretation, but holy men of God were moved by God as they spoke, as they wrote. That's how Scripture came, through God's divine giving of His Word. And then it says that we have the prophetic Word more sure for us. And right in the middle, chapter 1, verse 10 through 16, he says, pay attention. You do well to pay attention to the Word of God and the message that was given to you. It's not by men, but it is the inspiration. It is the love letter of God. So what should we do this week with it? One, we need to study it. We need to study it. We should be memorizing it. Scripture tells us to. And then thirdly, we need to live it. What is the basics? Last time I talked about the person of Jesus Christ, 
the events of the, what has happened in the past with our salvation, what will happen in the future uh, because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Part two is to say, go back to where we learn it all. Go back to the Bible and study it. Memorize it and live it this week. So dear God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the challenge that we find in, in Peter. Uh, the challenge to, to live a righteous and holy life, to live out our faith in the midst of false teaching, in the midst of uh, an evil society. And we do so by learning about you. And we can do that by going to your word. And so I pray you'd help us this week to do that as we study your word, as we memorize it, as we meditate on it, as we let it impact our life, and then as we live it out uh, in the way that you've called us to. We thank you for the challenge. I pray you'd help us to grow in it. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.